Welcome to this next message in this series of experiencing and expressing the resurrection life of Christ. And um, I want to take a bit of a big jump. There's much more we could cover, but I want to talk about expressing resurrection life in Christ. That as we come to the cross and we surrender to Christ and take up our cross, as it were, and seek to follow him, and experience resurrection life through death to self and denial of self and embracing the cross. God wants us to come out the other side and experience his resurrection life and hope in our own heart and life, but also to express that resurrection life to other people, just as Jesus did post-resurrection. Um, if you take the time to study through the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at all the post-resurrection accounts and stories of Jesus appearing to groups of people and individuals and to his disciples behind closed doors, it's an incredibly astounding picture that portrays to us again the amazing humility of our God, of Christ. He didn't step out of the tomb, as it were, in superhero clothes and suddenly do the, ta-da, here I am, uh, look at me, I've conquered death, I've risen. In fact, just incredibly the opposite, incredibly the opposite. And you have all these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to people where, in most cases, they didn't recognize him which is almost astounding that he, as it were, came in under the radar, almost in a powerfully subversive way, still expressing this incredible humility that he did in his birth and incarnation and ministry. Even post-resurrection, he expressed his resurrection life and power at times in such incredibly humble, under the radar, gentle, yet powerful and dynamic ways that changed people for all eternity. And I, I want to talk about those and launch off in, Matt, in Mark 16, um, jumping ahead to verse 12. And if you've got your Bible with you, I want to read uh, just this one verse, which after years of having read Mark, really struck me and uh, caused me to spend a lot of time just meditating on post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And um, after he had risen and the woman left, they eventually went and told the other disciples. And in verse 12, it said this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form. Notice that phrase. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Verse 13, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. The disciples didn't believe the woman's report and they didn't believe these two who returned after Jesus had appeared to them in a different form. And the two people that Mark is referencing are those found in the Gospel of Luke on the Emmaus Road who Jesus came walking alongside them as they were journeying in their pain and their grief. 
still trying to wrestle like everyone else with what had happened, what had taken place. Jesus had promised so much, yet what had outworked seemed so contrary again to how they all thought it should play out. He did not meet their expectations. Um, and he doesn't sometimes promise to meet ours in the way we expect. And if you read in Luke's account of the Emmaus Road journey, it says that uh, they were kept from recognizing who Jesus was. Yet here he, in his post-resurrection, veils his incredible glory and resurrection power. And they don't recognize who's walking with them, who's explaining the scriptures to them until they reach a point of accommodation and ask this traveler to stay with them. And it's when he breaks bread and has communion with them that they finally recognize who Christ is. What amazing condescending humility that Christ our Savior shows post-resurrection. This word, a different form, the word form is the Greek word morphe, and it only appears here and two other times in Philippians chapter 2, and all in reference to Christ. And if you're familiar with Philippians 2 verse 5 on, we're told that we should have the same example Christ had when he became incarnate in a human form, where he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form of our humanity, and it's used a second time to describe that in taking on the form of our humanity, he took on the form of a slave, of a servant, even becoming obedient to death on a cross. And then we're told, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, that ultimately it's that humility taking on the form of humanity, morphing into humanity, morphing into the form of a servant, that Jesus then dies a death of obedience on the cross for us, and then God at that point highly exalts him to give him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow ultimately. And that idea of the word morphe is the idea that externally we can take on different forms and appearances that reflect our true inner being and nature. And in a very simple human analogy, we can do that just even in the way we dress. We can dress for working in the garden. We can dress for going to a place of employment. We dress for going to meet with fellow believers on a Sunday. We dress appropriately for a, a wedding, a funeral, a special occasion. And we are expressing different external forms and appearances appropriate to the occasion. And this is what Jesus did post-resurrection. And if you study all the post-resurrection accounts, um, there are a number of forms that Jesus appears and ministers resurrection life and hope to different individual people and groups of people and disciples uh, as he encounters them. Some of them are very explicit, and some of them are pictures that are implicit, they're implied. But I came up with a list that just really spoke to me, that these become not only the expressions of how Jesus conveyed resurrection life to people who needed 
him to appear to them in the form that they needed to experience, but they become an example for me of how I can engage people around me in the way that they need to receive. And Jesus appears as a grace giver to Mary Magdalene. The first person he appears to is the woman out of whom he cast seven demons who had been a prostitute. And she's the first one Jesus appears to. What an incredibly gracious act on the part of Christ, particularly given the culture of the day. He appears in the form implicitly of a gardener where Mary mistakes him for a gardener. Uh, my imagination runs right and thinks, what did he look like? That she mistook him for the gardener in the tomb area. He takes the form of a companion with the two men on the Emmaus Road. He just comes as a friend, a companion, and walks alongside them in their journey. He then, as it were, morphs into the form of a teacher, and he starts to explain to them from all the Old Testament, the Tanakh, who the Messiah is and how things were to play out. He takes the form of a wounded warrior, which is the one example in the remaining time we have in a moment that I, I want to elaborate on. So I'll come back to that. He takes on the form of a servant in, in the Gospel of John, where the disciples are out fishing and they discover that the resurrected Christ is on the beach cooking them breakfast. I, I'm overwhelmed by these forms and they challenge me to the core of what it means to be someone like Christ who would be willing in humility to express resurrection life in forms that are so counter to what we think and be willing to as it were, fly under the radar and not necessarily be recognized. He takes on the form of power when he empowers his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to demonstrate that gospel with signs and wonders in the way that he had. And he takes on the form of a restorer, which is a beautiful image as he not only serves the disciples on the beach and cooks them breakfast, but then we see this beautiful picture in John 21 of where he restores, beautifully restores Peter. And there are other examples of how he restores people like Thomas, doubting Thomas post-resurrection. But I want to just take these remaining moments and talk about one that has been very profound to me in my own personal journey. Um, as I have encountered experiences and events in my own life, that have left brokenness and weakness in my life. Um, at the tender age of 29, pastoring our first church, we had helped plant a church and then called in a pastor to take that work over and um, then moved to the middle of the North Island in the Hawke's Bay with two young children, had a third child uh, down there. And um, I was a gung-ho young pastor, ready to save the world for Christ. And at the age of 29, um, uh, in uh, August 1988, on the 31st, I still remember it to this day, I literally collapsed. And the long story short was I became a wounded warrior and that had a complete breakdown, um, a disengagement with reality and um, broke down at every level, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's another whole story and testimony that we've shared over the years. 
and uh, spent a whole year just um, not able to work, not able to function. Um, and there was a great sense of woundedness in my own life as like the disciples, I embraced my cross. Things weren't working out the way I planned. Fast forward to March 2014, and uh, we'd been in ministry around that time now, around 28 years, and uh, pastoral ministry. And I experienced the first of five small strokes in the space of three years and had to retire from ministry in February 2016 after nearly 30 years. And again, that has left a great weakness and a vulnerability in my own life, um, in the way that it's affected my brain and my health journey. And as Christians, we struggle with weakness and vulnerability, but God doesn't. He embraces it and he empowers it. He empowers it. And Jesus profoundly appears in the form of a wounded warrior. What do I what do I mean by that? What I mean is the most identifying mark that proved the authenticity of who Jesus was post-resurrection to his disciples was not some glorious, powerful manifestation, but his wounds. Turn with me if you've still got your Bible there to Luke 24 and look at how Jesus identifies himself to the frightened disciples who are uncertain as to who has appeared in the room to them. In Luke chapter 24 verse 36, while they were still talking about this, they were talking about the resurrection, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. They didn't recognize him. They, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? And look how he identified himself to them. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed them the wounds where the nails had pierced his wrists and feet as he had been nailed to the cross and hung there that Good Friday. If you jump over into John's gospel and John chapter 20 and verse 24, we have the account of Thomas who was absent at that moment. He was not there at that first appearance to the disciples by Christ. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Isn't that astounding? What was Thomas looking for? The wounds of Christ. That for him would prove that this was Jesus. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, picking up in verse 26, and Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood 
among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, not in a condemning way, but in a gracious way, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Just pause and think about this for a moment. Jesus now has a glorified, resurrected body, but guess what it still contains? His woundedness. The pierced side, the nail-pierced wrists, the nail-pierced feet. Even so much so, if you venture into the book of Revelation, you find that Jesus who is worshipped is seen as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is forever, not only still God, he never lost his deity, but he is forever also still in our humanity. The perfect union of the divine and human. And he still carries his scars. And they are the point of identification for him. We fear weakness and vulnerability. God doesn't. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, and for sake of time, we won't turn there, talks about the fact that after experiencing an incredible revelation of heaven, God gave to him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to keep him humble. He begged God to take it from him. But God said to him, my power is made what? Perfect in your weakness. Paul said, if that's what it takes, that I have to experience a thorn in the flesh, a weakness. If it was good enough for my savior, it's good enough for me. And I will boast all the more of my weakness that God's power may be seen in my weakness and he gets all the honor and glory. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talked about the fact that this incredible treasure of new life and resurrection life that we carry around within us is carried around in our frail humanity he called jars of clay. Jesus was a wounded warrior, and it took his woundedness, Isaiah 53 says, to bring about our healing. By his wounds, we are healed. Amazing. God's ways are just so contrary to how we would do everything. God is not afraid of our weakness. And in actual fact, he wants to bring us to a place of brokenness where we are strong enough to acknowledge we are weak and we need his resurrection life. And then those wounds, those weaknesses in our own life, and we're not talking about sin, we're talking about human weakness and frailty. They then for us, they can come points of identification with a weak and broken humanity. I have found the woundedness of my life, the brokenness of my life, has enabled me to be more empathetic and compassionate and connect with a broken humanity more than any of my successes. Now, I'm not sure what they are. Jesus appeared in various forms. A closing testimony. In 2017, 
I experienced a further um, stroke. And it was a year that Philippa's auntie had died and we were attending the funeral of her auntie soon after my own personal experience. And I was incredibly down, very despondent and depressed thinking, is this ever going to end? How many more blows to my brain can I take because of the impact upon it? And the way it affected everything else and every other relationship around me. We journeyed through the funeral. We remembered and celebrated her auntie. And afterwards, the usual time of connecting with family and over food and drink. And that time came to an end and we were about to leave. And Philippa's uncle, um, Uncle Jack, who had been a tremendous mentor to me in my early Christian life. He was in his 80s at this point. He's since passed away and gone to be with Christ. Uncle Jack was in a frame, a walking frame. He was too fragile to walk on his own. He was in full-time care um, because he had Alzheimer's. He was severely in dementia. Um, really didn't know who he was, where he was, or recognized anybody. And uh, this man who I deeply loved, who had been a tremendous mentor to me, my only Christian walk, I reached out to give him a hug, to say goodbye. He looked up from his frame, and in his frailness, he reached one hand out and grabbed me. And he looked me in the eye with a strength that betrayed his weakness. And he looked at me and the Spirit of God came upon him and he said, Mazza, I hear that you've not been well lately and you've been going through a lot. I want you to know God hasn't finished with you yet. He still has a plan for you, whatever form or shape that may look like. He hasn't finished with you yet. And then he slumped back into his dementia, frail, bent over, and left. I was just shaking. People around his family had never seen him do that before. Here was one wounded warrior, a broken man in dementia. Suddenly in a moment, God spoke through him and reached out to another wounded warrior to impart resurrection life and hope. Isn't our God amazing? In terms of how he can express his resurrection life through Christ in so many forms and through us in so many forms, it will be sensitive to not only his presence, but to the needs around us and how we can engage people by extending grace, sowing into their life like a gardener, serving them, being a companion walking alongside them, teaching when appropriate, imparting the power of God, and not being afraid of our own humanity and weakness to allow the perfect power of God to flow through that and change the lives of others. Thank you for your time and listening. God bless you, and may you know his resurrection life flowing through you.